You're listening to Ron's Weekly Wire. I'm Roland Elliott Brown. This week marks the 62nd anniversary of the overthrow of Iran's popular prime minister, Mohammad Mossadegh. Mossadegh died in 1967, but he's still revered as a national hero in Iran. That's because in 1951, he nationalized Iran's oil and entered a hard diplomatic struggle with Britain over control of Iran's oil industry. He also symbolized democratic possibilities. He was a secular, liberal reformer who balanced the power of the ambitious young Shah, Mohammad Reza Pahlavi. But in 1953, the CIA, along with the British intelligence service MI6, worked together to overthrow Mossadegh. They helped the Shah become Iran's dictator until the Iranian people overthrew him in 1979. Today, many Iranians cite the overthrow of Mossadegh as a trauma underlying their political misfortunes ever since. But this year, as Iran seals a deal with the U.S. over its nuclear program, some Iranians say they found a new Mossadegh, Foreign Minister Javad Zarif. Does the analogy hold up? This week I spoke to three experts to find out. To start, it's worth hearing from a historian about why a political figure from decades ago is still relevant to Iranian politics. Here's Irvand Abrahamian. He's a professor of history at the City University of New York and author of The Coup. Well, in a way, the 53 coup is like a guillotine. It really cuts Iranian history from 53 to 79. It's a black. You jump from 53 to 79, and therefore, if you take that gap, it's 53 isn't that far behind. And it's it, because it has a deep uh, impact on the history, it, I think, means people... Uh, feel it's closer to them than something that happened uh, decades ago. And, of course, in any country where you have a major dramatic event, whether it's World War II or Pearl Harbor or something, it, it has a deep imprint, even if it's, you know, half a century or more uh, past. People, even the generations that were not born there, uh, they live in, under that shadow. It's not hard to see why Iranians would feel like they live under a shadow. The 1979 revolution isolated them from the world. The dispute over Iran's nuclear program, which started in the early 2000s, only made things worse. But now the shadow seems to be lifting, thanks to the nuclear deal agreed by Foreign Minister Javad Zarif in July. 2015 has been Zarif's year. He has secured the future of Iran's uranium enrichment program and won Iran a new economic lifeline. After Zarif concluded the deal, Iranians celebrated in the streets. Some of them chanted, Zarif, Mossadegh, these are the heroes of Iran. Iranian newspapers printed cover images of Zarif and Mossadegh side by side. The idea was that both Mossadegh and Zarif had fought for Iran's rights. But does it make sense to compare Iran's oil industry in the 1950s with its nuclear program in the 2000s? Irvand Abrahamian see some similarities. I think there are actually striking parallels. In 1951-53, Iran nationalized the oil industry, 
And uh, initially, of course, uh, Britain was dead opposed to it. But then it actually, under American pressure, changed its position and said, oh, in, on principle, we agree with nationalization. We can't really oppose it because we've just nationalized our own oil industry, steel industry, and so on. So uh, on record, they were always agreeable to nationalization. But when it came to actual negotiations with uh, Mossad, their there argument was, and this was, they were supported by the United States, uh, you're not really mature enough or educated enough to run the oil industry. So you can nominally be in charge, but in reality, we have to be in charge of running the oil industry. For Abrahamian, that attitude is similar to the way the Bush administration looked at Iran's nuclear program. Similarly, in the nuclear negotiations, because Iran has signed the non-proliferation agreement, it has actually the right to enrich uranium as long as it doesn't do it for military purposes. And this is implicitly recognized by the international community. But when it came to uh, the negotiations, especially under Bush, the argument was, well, we, we may accept this in principle, but in reality, we can't trust you. I, you're not mature enough or you're too childish. You, you can't be trusted with nuclear technologies because you might do something bad about it. Even so, that's not quite what Zarif was up against in the last few years. Obama's position, even when he was campaigning for this presidency, he made it clear he didn't object to Iran's uh, having a nuclear program as long as it was not a nuclear weapons program. So I think that change made it possible for Iran to actually then engage in the negotiations. And the present deal, uh, if it goes through, uh, basically is on that premise that Iran does have the right to enrich, can enrich, as long as it's limited and it's not, it doesn't venture into military aspects. But of course, the oil industry doesn't really have military aspects. Whereas oil was and is the backbone of Iran's economy, its nuclear program has a less obvious role. Here's Mark Gasiorowski of Tulane University. He's been studying Mossadegh for decades. I'm not sure that there are really many similarities with talking about what Mossadegh did 60-plus years ago was a perfectly legal thing and something that greatly benefited Iran, the Iranian people, uh, and was entirely within Iran's rights to nationalize the British-controlled oil industry. The events that have been playing out in recent years with respect to Iran's nuclear program are a very different sort of thing. They're not something that you know, benefit Iran, certainly in any socioeconomic sense, to the extent that Iran's nuclear program has nuclear implications, and they seem to be very strong. They seem to have brought Iran to the point today where it is potentially within a few months of having a nuclear weapon. This is a dangerous and destabilizing situation. So what about the two men at the center of this analogy? For all their different motives, do Zarif and Mossadegh have anything in common? Dariush Bayandor, a former diplomat under the Shah and the author of a new book about the coup, doesn't see the connection. Frankly, the question of analogy 
is totally absurd in, in, in my view. But, of course, people uh, need heroes and at times invent them. There is no comparison, and the show that's being put up in Iran, it's all artificial, uh, uh, just for, for, for the sake of you know, publicity for the regime. Um, uh, Mr. Zarif is a competent person, but has acted, I don't want to use the word underling, because he's a competent person, but he is a subordinate to a, a regime which uh, is a theocracy, basically. And what, what he does is at the service of that regime. That's an important point. Mossadegh was a prime minister with the power to make policy. He often challenged the Shah. Zarif doesn't challenge Iran's supreme leader. On the other hand, Zarif is one of the more urbane public figures the Iranian government has put forward in recent years. And people are responding to that. Here's Ervand Ebrahamian. There's another angle, I think, which is Iranians, when they look at the various public figures, Zarif is much closer to Mossad there than people with turbans from the religious hierarchy. He's very Western-educated, very savvy. He doesn't uh, deal in uh, rhetoric, polemics. He He's probably a religious himself, but he doesn't use religion in politics very much like Mossad. Uh, so in those ways, uh, people actually especially people who like Mossad there, see uh, Zarif as, a, in a way, continuing that tradition of patriotism, nationalism, but not of uh, the religious variety, of much more of uh, a liberal, uh, reformist, secular variety. Uh, I think that's where implicitly people uh, resonate about him. And it's worth noting that there are some constants in Iranian politics, no matter who is in power. Here's Mark Gassierowski. Well, I, I suppose it's true that, you know, Iran 60 years ago and today, uh, in both cases, is, you know, a medium-sized country, a middle power, confronting superpowers. And, uh, you know, of course, Iranians are very proud of their long heritage. They wish that Iran were more powerful and more successful than it is today, see outside powers as an obstacle to that. And so it's not really surprising that leaders who confront the outside world, confront the superpowers, confront the West, both 60 years ago and today, are pretty popular. It's something that is pretty strongly rooted in Iran's circumstances and in its you know, kind of popular culture and popular perceptions of the world. But again, if you look more specifically at the two situations, there are a lot of differences. So again, I wouldn't go too far with the similarities. Of course, the extent to which Zarif confronted the West is an open question. International sanctions forced Iran to the negotiating table. Here's Dariush Bayandor. What uh, Mr. Zarif did, which has its own merit uh, in these negotiations, was to, in fact, disentangle Iran from awkward and cumbersome situation, bring it out because of the, the sanctions that had been uh, imposed on Iran. And, 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 and uh, those sanctions, of course, were such that put Iran in in very, very difficult situation, as a result of which there was a decision to, to concede on this 
particular dossier, that, that, that particular chapter, uh, they decided to somehow get themselves out of it. And Mr. Zarif was the champion of uh, that enterprise. What we finally got was a well-padded, nicely packaged so, sort of declaration of surrender on nuclear issue. Nothing more, nothing less than that. The idea that Iran surrendered over the nuclear issue makes the Rouhani government very anxious. Whereas Mossadegh sought complete control of Iran's oil, Zarif has given international bodies the power to monitor Iran's nuclear program. But while Mossadegh's unwillingness to compromise on the oil issue made him a more romantic figure, Zarif will be remembered as the more effective diplomat. Here's Mark Gasirowski. Mossadegh was a very positive figure in many ways for Iran. He tried to do important things. But I, I would say that his legacy is mixed. In my mind, he should have resolved the oil crisis. Uh, that would have made him a lasting hero in Iran and, and would have really established something strong and positive uh, that would have been durable in Iran rather than something that could be easily pushed aside by a few CIA officers in, in, you know, 62 years ago today. Zarif has succeeded in negotiating an agreement. Now, it remains to be seen whether this will be approved in the United States, but probably it will. And once the U.S. Congress seals the deal, it may be more useful to think in grand geopolitical terms than in personal ones. I, I think much more relevant would be to compare the current situation with uh, various other major instances of detente or rapprochement that have occurred in modern times, uh, U.S.-Soviet detente in the early 1970s and then again in the Gorbachev era. I think especially relevant is the comparison with U.S.-China rapprochement that began in the 1970s with Nixon's trip to China. In a lot of these cases, like the Chinese example, uh, an initial agreement was followed by many, many others and was followed by the reintegration of that country into, you know, kind of the world economy and, and world diplomacy. And uh, that could well happen in this case with Iran, and it would be very, very good for Iranians, and it would be good for the United States and for most of the rest of the world. This doesn't mean that Iran has to suddenly revert to the kind of lackey status that it had under the Shah before the revolution. But uh, Iran's economy, Iran's diplomatic initiatives, its regional security, you know, especially in the face of threats from the Islamic State and other uh, Sunni jihadist movements, all of these could benefit a great deal by going further beyond the nuclear agreement to uh, agreements between Iran and the West on various other kinds of matters. In other words, Iranians hope the shadow that fell over them in 1953 is finally lifting. By comparing Zarif to Mossadegh, they aren't offering sound historical analysis. But they seem to be saying that now is the time for a great Iranian statesman. For young Iranians, Zarif is the first plausible candidate they have ever seen. And Mossadegh is the last one whose name they remember. That's all from Iran's Weekly Wire. If you want to find out more about Mossadegh, you can watch Maziar Bahari's documentary, An Iranian Odyssey, on iranwire.com. <laughs>